The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, continuing the story of The Hobbit. Chapter 1. The Tower of Sirith and Gold Sam roused himself painfully from the ground. For a moment he wondered where he was, and then all the misery and despair returned to him. He was in the deep dark outside the under gate of the orc's stronghold. Its brazen doors were shut. He must have fallen stunned when he hurled himself against them, but how long he had lain there he did not know. Then he had been on fire, desperate and furious. Now he was shivering and cold. He crept to the doors and pressed his ears against them. Far within he could hear faintly the voices of orcs clamoring, but soon they stopped or passed out of hearing and all was still. His head ached and his eyes saw phantom lights in the darkness, but he struggled to steady himself and think. It was clear at any rate that he had no hope of getting into the orc hold by, the, by that gate. He might wait there for days before it was opened, and he could not wait. Time was desperately precious. He no longer had any doubt about his duty. He must rescue his master or perish in the attempt. The parish is more likely and will be a lot easier anyway, he said grimly to himself, as he sheathed sting and turned from the brazen doors. Slowly he groped his way back in the dark along the tunnel, not daring to use the elven light, and as he went he tried to fit together the, the events since Frodo and he had left the crossroads. He wondered what time it was, somewhere between one day and the next, he supposed, but even of the days he had quite lost count. He was in a land of darkness where the days of the world seemed forgotten, and where all who entered were forgotten too. I wonder if they think of us at all, he, asked, he said, and what is happening to them all the way there. He waved his hand vaguely in the air before him, but he was in fact not facing southwards as he came back to Shelob's tunnel, not west. At westward in the world it was drawing to noon upon the fourteenth day of March in the Shire Reckoning, and even now Argorn was leading the Black Fleet from Pellegrir, and Mary was riding with the Rorim down the Stone Wayne Valley, while in Minas Tirith flames were rising and Pippin watched the madness growing in the eyes of Dinathor. Yet amid all their Yet amid all their cares and fear the thoughts of their friends turned constantly to Frodo and Sam. They were not forgotten, but they were far beyond aid, and no thought could and no thought could yet bring any help to Samwise half-son's son. He was utterly alone. He came back at last to the stone door of the orc's passage, and still unable to discover the catch or bolt that held it, he scrambled over as before and dropped softly to the ground. Then he made his way stealthily to the outlet of Shelob's tunnel, where the rags of her great web were still blowing and swaying in the cold airs. For cold they seemed to Sam after the noisome darkness behind, but the breath of them revived him. He crept cautiously out. All was ominously quiet. The light was no more than that of dusk at a dark day's end. The vast vapors that arose in Mordor and went smoke, went streaming westward passed low overhead. A great welter of cloud and smoke now lit again beneath, the, beneath with a sullen glow of red. Sam looked up towards the orc tower, and suddenly from its narrow windows light stared out like small red eyes. He wondered if they were some signal. His fear of the orcs, forgotten for a while in his wrath and desperation, now returned. As far as he could see, there was only one possible course for him to take. He must go on and try to find the main entrance to the dreadful tower, but his knees felt weak, and he found that he was trembling. Drawing his eyes down from the tower, he found that he sorry, drawing his eyes, drawing his eyes, his unwilling... Drawing his eyes down from the tower and the horns of the cleft before him, he forced his unwilling feet to obey him, and slowly listening with all ears, peering into the, de de peering into the dense shadows of the rocks beside the way, he retraced his steps, past the place where Frodo fell, and still the stench of Shelob lingered. 
and then on and up, until he stood again in the very cleft where he had put on the ring and seen Shagrat's company go by. There he halted and sat down. For the moment he could drive himself no further. He felt that if once he went beyond the crown of the past and took one step vertebly down into the land of Mordor, that step would be irrevocable. He could never come back. Without any clear purpose, he drew out the ring and put it on again. Immediately he felt the great weight, the great burden of its weight and felt afresh, but now more strong and urgent than ever, the malice of the eye of Mordor, searching, trying to piece the shadows that it had made for its own defense, but which now hindered in its un- un- it hindered in its unquiet and doubt. As before, Sam found that its his hearing was sharpened, but that to his sight the things of the world seemed thin and vague. The rocky walls of the path were pale, as if seen through a mist, but still at a distance he heard the bubbling of Shelob in her misery, and harsh and clear and very close it seemed, he heard cries and the clash of metal. He sprang to his feet and pressed himself against the wall beside the road. He was glad of the ring, for here was yet another company of orcs on the march, or so at first he thought. Then suddenly he realized that it was not so. His hearing had deceived him. The orc cries came from the tower, whose topmost horn was now right above him, on the left hand of the cleft. Sam shouted and tried to force himself to move. There was plain, there was plainly some devilry going on. Perhaps in spite of all orders, the cruel, cru, cruelty of the orcs had mastered them, and they were tormenting Frodo, or even savagely hacking him to pieces. He listened, and as he did so, a gleam of hope came to him. There could not be much doubt. There was fighting in the tower. The orcs must be at war among themselves. Shagra and Gorbag had come to blows. Faint as the hope... Faint as was the hope that that his guest brought him, it was enough to rouse him. There might be just a chance. His love for Frodo rose above all other thoughts, and forgetting his peril, he cried aloud, I'm coming, Mr. Frodo. He ran forward to the climbing path and over it. At once the road turned left and plunged steeply down. Sam had crossed into Mordor. He took off the ring, moved it may be by some deep premonition of danger, though to himself he thought only that he wished to see more clearly. Better have a look at the worst, he muttered. No good blundering about in a fog. Hard and cruel and bitter was the land that met his gaze. Before his feet, the highest ridge of the Ephelduaf fell steeply in great cliffs down into a dark trough, on the further side of which there rose another ridge much lower, its edge noticed and jagged with crags like fangs, and stood out black against the dark red light behind them. It was the grim Morgai, the inner ring of the fences of the land. Far beyond it, but almost straight ahead, across a wide lake of darkness dotted with tiny fires, there was a great burning glow, and from it rose in huge columns of swirling smoke, dusty red at the roots, black above where it merged into the billowing canopy that roofed in all the accursed land. Sam was looking at Oridruin, the mountain of fire. Ever and anon the furnaces far below its ashen cone would grow hot and with a great surging and throbbing pour forth rivers of molten rock from t- chasms in its sides. Some would flow blazing towards Beradur, down great channels. Some would wind their way into the stony plain until they cooled and lay like twisted dragon shapes vomited from the tormented earth. In such an hour of labor, Sam beheld Mount Doom in the light of it, cut off by the high screen of the Ephelduath from those who climbed up the path from the west now glared against the stark rock faces so that they seemed to be drenched with blood. In that dreadful light, Sam stood aghast, for now, looking to his left, he could see the tower of Sirithun Gul in all its strength. The horn that he had seen from the other side was only its topmost turret. 
Its eastern face stood up in three giant tiers from a shelf in the mountain wall far below. Its back was to a great cliff behind from which it jutted out and pointed bastions, one above the other, diminishing as they rose, with sheer sides of cunning masonry that looked northeast and southeast. About the lowest tier, two hundred feet below where Sam now stood, there was a battlemented wall enclosing a narrow court. Its gate, upon the near southeastern side, opened on a broad road, the outer parapet of which ran upon the brink of a precipice until it turned southward and went winding down into the darkness to join the road that came over the Morgul Pass. Then on it went through a jagged rift in the Morgai, out into the valley of Gorgoroth, and soon and away to Baradur. The narrow upper way on which Sam stood leapt swiftly, swiftly down by stair and steep path to meet the main road under the frowning walls close to the tower gate. As he gazed at it, it suddenly Sam understood, almost with a shock, that, his, that this stronghold had been built not to keep enemies out of Mordor, but to keep them in. It was indeed one of the works of Gondor long ago, an eastern outpost of the defenses of Ithilien, made when, after the last alliance, men of Westerness kept watch on the evil land of Sauron where his creatures still lurked. But as was with Narcost and Carcost, the Towers of the Teeth, so here, too, the vigilance had failed, and treachery had yielded up the tower to the lord of the ringwraiths. And now for long years it had been held by evil things. Since his return to Mordor, Sauron had found it useful, for he had a few servants, but many slaves of fear. But still its chief purpose as of old was to prevent escape from Mordor. Though if an enemy were so rash as to try to enter that land secretly, then it was also a lot last unsleeping guard against any that might pass the vigilance of Morgul and Shelob. Only too clearly Sam saw how hopeless it would be for him to creep down under those many-eyed walls and pass the watchful gate. And even if he did so, he could not go far on the on, he could not go far on the guarded road beyond. Not even the black shadows lying deep where the red glow could not reach, which shield him long from the night-eyed orcs. But desperate as the road might be, his task was now far worse not to avoid the gate and escape, but to enter it alone. His thought turned to the ring, but there was no comfort there, only dread and danger. No sooner had he come in sight of Mount Doom, burning far away, than he was aware of a change in his burden. In his burden. As a junior, the great furnaces where, in the deeps of time, it had been shaped and forged, the ring's power grew, and it became more it fell, untamable save by some mighty will. As Sam stood there, even though the ring was not on him, but hanging by its chain about his neck, he felt himself enlarged, as if he were robbed in a huge distorted shadow of himself, a vast and ominous threat halted upon the walls of Mordor. He felt that he had from now on only two choices, to forbear the ring, though it would torment him, or to claim it and challenge the power that sat in its dark hold beyond the Valley of Shadows. Already the ring tempted him, gnawing at his will and reason, Wild fantasies rose in his mind, and he saw Samwise the Strong, hero of the age, striding with a flaming sword across the darkened land, and enemies flocking to his call as he marched to the over as he marched to overthrow of Baradur. And then all the clouds rolled away, and the white sun shone, and at his command the Vale of Gorgoroth became a garden of flowers and tree and trees and brought forth fruit. He had only put on the ring and claim it f he only he had only to put on the ring and claim it for his own, and all this could be. In that hour of trial, it was the love of his master that helped him most to hold him firm, but also deep down in him lived still unconquered his plain hobbit sense. 
He knew in the core of his heart that he was not large enough to bear such a burden, even if such visions were not a mere cheat to betray him. The one small garden of free gardener was all his need and due, not a garden soul into a realm his own hands to use, not the hands of others to command. And anyway, all these notions are only a trick, he said to himself. He'd spot, he'd spot me and cow me before I could so much as shout out, as shout out. He'd spot me pretty quick if I put the ring on now in Mordor. Well, all I can say is, things look as hopeless as a frost in spring. Just when being invisible would be really useful, I can't use the ring. And if I ever get any further, it's going to be nothing but a drag and a burden every step. So what's to be done? He was not really in any doubt. He knew that he must go down to the gate and not linger any more. With a shrug of his shoulders, as if to shake off the shadow and dismiss the phantoms, he began to slow. He began slowly to descend. With each step, he seemed to diminish. He had not gone far before he had shrunk again to a very small and frightened hobbit. He was now passing under the wall, the very walls of the tower, and the cries and sounds of fighting could be heard with his unaided ears. At the moment, the noise seemed to be coming from the court behind the outer wall. Sam was about halfway down the path when out of the dark gateway into the red glow there came two orcs running. They did not turn towards him. They were making for the main road, but even as they ran, they stumbled and fell to the ground and lay still. Sam had seen no arrows, but he guessed that the orcs had been shot down by others on the battlements or hidden in the shadow of the gate. He went on, hugging the wall on his left. One look upward had shown him that there was no hope of climbing it. The stonework rose thirty feet without a crack or ledge to overhanging courses like inverted steps. The gate was the only way. He crept on, and as he went, he wondered how many orcs lived in the tower with Shagrat and how many Gorbag had had, and what they were quarreling about, if that was what was happening. Shagrat's company had seemed to be about forty, and Gorbag's more than twice as large. But of course, Shagrat's patrol had only been a part of his garrison. Almost certainly they were quarreling about Frodo and the spoil. For a second, Sam halted, for suddenly things seemed clear to him, almost as if he had seen them with his eyes. The mithril coat. Of course, Frodo was wearing it, and they would find it. And from, the, and from what Sam had heard, Gorberg, Gorbag would covet, covet it. But the orders of the Dark Tower at present Frodo's only protection, and if they were set aside, Frodo might be killed out of hand at any moment. Come on, you miserable sluggard, Sam cried to himself. Now for it. He drew sting and ran towards the open gate. But just as he was about to pass under its great arch, he felt a shock, as if he had run into some web like shelobs, only invisible. He could see no obstacle, but something too strong for his will to overcome bared the way, barred the way. He looked about, and then within the shadow of the gate, he saw the two watchers. They were like great figures seated upon thrones. Each had three joined bodies and three heads facing outward and inward and across the gate. The heads had vulture faces, and on their great knees were laid claw-like hands. They seemed to be carved out of huge blocks of stone, immovable, yet they were aware. Some dreadful spirit of evil vigilance abode in them. They knew an enemy, visible or invisible, could not, could, or, visible or invisible, none could pass unheeded. They would forbid his entry or his escape. Hardening his will, Sam thrust forward once again and halted with a jerk, staggering as if from a blow upon his breast and head. Then, greatly daring because he could think of nothing else to do, answering a sudden thought he, that came to him, he drew slowly out the file of Gleadriel and held it up. Its white light quickened swiftly, and the shadows under the dark arch fled. The monstrous watchers sat there, cold and still, revealed in all their hideous shape. 
For a moment, Sam caught a glitter in the black stones of their eyes, the very malice of which made him quail. But slowly he felt their will waver and crumble into fear. He sprang past them, but even as he did so, thrusting the file back into his bosom, he was aware, as plainly as if a bar of steel had snapped to behind him, that their vigilance was renewed, and from those evil heads there came a high, shrill, high, shrill cry that echoed in the tower, towering walls before him. Far up above, like an answering signal, a harsh bell clanged a single stroke. That's done it, said Sam. Now I ring the front door bell. Well, come on, somebody, he cried. Tell Captain Shagger that the great elf warrior has called, with his elf sword, too. There was no answer. Sam strode forward. Sting glittered blue in his hand. The courtyard lay in deep shadow, but he could see that the pavement was strewn with bodies. Right at his feet were two, two orc archers with knives sticking in their backs. Beyond lay many more shapes, some singly as they had been hewn down or shot. Others in pairs, still grappling one another, dead in their very throes of stabbing, throttling, biting. The stones were slippery with dark blood. Two liveries, Sam noticed, one marked by the red eye, and the other by a moon disfigured with the ghastly face of death. But he did not stop to look more closely. Across the court, a great door at the foot of the tower stood half open, and a red light came through. A large orc lay dead upon the threshold. Sam sprang over the body and went in, and then he peered about a loss. A wide and echoing passage led back from the door towards the mountainside. It was dimly lit with torches flaring in brackets on the walls, but its distant end was lost in gloom. Many doors and openings could be seen on, the si on this side and that, but it was empty save for two or three more bodies sprawling on the floor. From what he had heard of the captain's talk, Sam knew that, dead or alive, Frodo would, Frodo would most likely be found in a chamber high up in the turret far above, but he might search for a day before he found the way. It'll be near the back, I guess, Sam muttered. The whole tower climbs backwards, like, and anyway, I'd better follow these lights. He advanced down the passage, but slowly now, each step more reluctant. Terror was beginning to grip him again. There was no sound save the rap of his feet, which seemed to grow to an aching, seemed to grow to an echoing noise, like the slapping of great hands upon the stones. The dead bodies, the emptiness, the dank black walls, and the torchlight seemed to drip with blood. The fear of sudden death lurking in doorway or shadow, and behind all his mind, the waiting, watchful malice of at, waiting, watchful malice at the gate. It was almost more than he could screw himself to face. He would have welcomed a fight with not too many enemies at at a time, rather than this hideous, brooding uncertainty. He forced himself to think of Frodo lying bound or in pain or dead somewhere in this dreadful place. He went on. He had passed beyond the torchlight almost to a great arched door at the end of the passage, the inner side of the undergate, as he rightly guessed, when there came from high above a dreadful choking sh shriek. He stopped short, then he heard feet coming. Someone was running in great haste down an echoing stairway overhead. His will was too weak and slow to restrain his hand. It dragged at the chain and clutched the ring, but Sam did not put it on, for even as he clasped it to his breast, an orc came clattering down leaping out a dark opening at the right. It ran towards him. It was no more than six paces from him when, lifting, his, lifting its head, it saw him, and Sam could hear its gasping breath and see the glance in its blood, bloodshot eyes. It stopped short aghast, for what it saw was not a small frightened hobbit trying to hold a steady sword. It saw a great silent shape, cloaked in a gray shadow, looming against the wavering light behind him. Behind, In one hand it held a sword, the very light of which was a bitter pain, the other was clutched at its breast, but held concealed some nameless menace of power and doom. 
For a moment, the, uh, the orc crouched, and then with a hideous yelp of fear, it turned and fled back as it had come. Never was any dog more heartened when its enemy turned tail than Sam as this unexpected fight. With a shout, he gave a chase. Yes, the elf warrior is loose, he cried. I'm coming. Just show me the way up or I'll skin you. But the orc was in its own haunts, nimble and well-fed. Sam was a stranger, hungry and weary. The stairs were high and steep and winding. Sam's breath came. Sam's breath began to come in gasps. The orc had soon passed out of sight, and now only faintly could be heard the slapping of its feet as it went on and up. Every now and again it gave a yell, and the echo ran along the walls, but slowly all sound of it died away. Sam plodded on. He felt that he, he felt that he was on the right road, and his spirits had risen a good deal. He thrust the ring away and tightened his belt. Well, well, he said, if only they all take such a dislike to me and my sting, this may turn out better than I hoped. And anyway, it looks as if Shagrat, Gorbag, and company have done nearly all my job for me. Except for that little frightened rat, I do believe there's nobody left alive in this place. And with that he stopped, brought up hard as if he had hit his head against the stone wall. The, fu the full meaning of what he had said had struck him with like a blow. Nobody left alive. Whose had been, whose had been that horrible dying shriek? Frodo, Frodo, master, he cried half sobbing. If they've killed you, what shall I do? Well, I'm coming at last, right to the top to see what I must. Up, up he went. It was dark save for an occasional torch flaring at the turn or beside some opening that led into the higher levels of the tower. Sam tried to count the steps, but after two hundred he lost his reckoning. He was moving quietly now, for he thought that he could hear the sound of voices talking, so some way above. More than one rat remained alive, it seemed. All at once, when he felt that he could pump out no more breath, nor force his knees, nor force his knees to bend again, the stare ended. He stood still. The voices were now loud and near. Sam peered about. He had climbed right to the flat roof of the third and highest tier of the tower, an open space about twenty yards across, with a low parapet. There the stair was covered by a small domed chamber, chamber in the midst the in the midst of the roof with low doors facing east and west. Eastward Sam could see the plain of Mordor, vast and dark below, and the burning mountain far away. A fresh turmoil was surging in its deep wells, and the rivers of fire blazed so fiercely that even at this distance of many miles the light of them lit the tower top with a red glare. Westward, the view was blocked by the base of the great turret that stood at the back of this upper court and reared its high horn above the crest of the encircling hills. Light gleamed in the window slit. Its door was not ten yards from where Sam stood. It was open but dark, and, fr just, and from just within its shadow the voices came. At first, Sam did not listen. He took a pace out of the eastward door and looked about. At once he saw that up here the fighting had been, scat had been fiercest. All the court was choked with dead orcs, or their severed and scattered he heads and limbs. The place stank of death. A snarl, a snarl, followed by a blow and a cry, sent him darting back into hiding. An orc voice ran in, ran, rose in anger. He knew again at once, harsh, brutal, cold. It was Shagrat speaking, captain of the tower. You won't go again, you say. Curse you, Sangha, you little maggot. If you think I'm so damaged that it's safe to flout me, you're mistaken. Come here, and I'll squeeze your eyes out like I did to Radbug just now. And when new lads come, I'll deal with you. I'll send you to Shelob. 
They won't come, not before you're dead anyway, answered Snaggish surly. I told you twice that Gorbag Swan got to the gate first, and none of ours got out. Ladguff and Musgrash ran through, but they were shot. I saw it from a window, I tell you, and they were the last. Then you must go. I must stay here anyway, but I'm hurt. The black pits that the black pits take that filthy rebel Gorbag. Shagrat's voice trailed off into a string of foul names and curses. I gave him better than I got, but he knifed me, that the dung, before I throttled him. You must go, or I'll eat you. News must get to Lugbers, or we'll both be for the black pits. Yes, you too. You won't escape by soaking here. I'm not going down the stairs again, growled Snaga. Be, your, be you captain or no, nar, keep your hands off your knife, or I'll put an arrow in your guts. You won't be a captain long when they hear about all these going-ons. I fought for the tower against those stinking mortal rats. What a nice mess you two precious captains have made of things, fighting over the swag. That's enough from you, snarled Shagrat. I had my orders. It was Gorbag started it, trying to pinch that pretty shirt. Well, you put his back up being so high and mighty, and he made more sense than you anyway. He told you more than once that the most dangerous of these spies was still loose, and you wouldn't listen, and you won't listen now. Gorbag was right, I tell you. There's a great fighter about one of those bloody-handed elves or one of the filthy tarks. He's coming here, I tell you. You heard the bell. He's got past the watchers, and that's Tark's work. He's on the stairs, and until he's off them, I'm not going down. Not if you were a Nazgul, I wouldn't. So that's it, is it? yelled Shagrat. You'll do this, and you'll not do that? When he does come, he'll your boat and leave me? No, you won't. I'll, I'll put red maggot holes in your belly first. Out of the turret door, the smaller orc came flying. Behind him came Shagrat, a large orc with long arms that, as he ran crouching, reached to the ground. But one arm hung limp and seemed to be bleeding. The other hugged a large black bundle, and the red glare Sam, and the red glare Sam, crawling behind the stair door, caught a glimpse of his evil face as it passed. It was scored as if by rendering claws and smeared with blood. Slaver dripped, slaver dripped down its protruding fangs. The mouth snarled like an animal. As far as Sam could see, Shagrat hunted Snagger around the roof until ducking and eluding him, the smaller orc with a yelp darted back into the turret and disappeared. Then Shagrat halted. Out of the eastward door, Sam could see him now by the parapet, panting, his left claw clenching and unclenching feebly. He put the bundle on the floor, and with his right claw drew out a long red knife and spat on it. Going to the parapet, he leaned over, looking down into the outer court far below. Twice he shouted, but no answer came. Suddenly, as Shagrat was stooped over the battlement, his back to the rooftop, Sam, to his own amazement, saw that one of the sprawling bodies was moving. It was crawling. It put out a claw and clutched the bundle. It staggered up. In its other hand, it held a broad-headed spear with a sharp broken haft. It was poised for a stabbing thrust, but at that very moment, a hiss escaped its teeth, a gasp of pain or hate. Quick as a snake, Shagrat slipped aside, twisting, twisted round, and drove his knife into the enemy's throat. God, you gorbag, he cried. Not quite dead, eh? Well, I'll finish my job now. He sprang onto the fallen body and stamped and trampled it in his fury, stooping now and again to stab and slash, at it, slash it with his knife. Satisfied at last, he threw back his head and let out a horrible gurgling yell of triumph. Then he licked his knife and put it between his teeth, and catching up the bundle, he came loping towards the near door of the stairs. Sam had no time to think. He might have slipped out of the other door, but hardly without being seen. 
and he could not have played hide-and-seek with his hideous orc for long. He did what was probably the best thing he could have done. He sprang out to meet Shagra with a shout. He was no longer holding the ring, but it was there, a hidden power, a cowling menace to the slaves of Mordor, and in his hand was Sting, and its light smote the eyes of the orc like the glitter of his cruel stars in the terrible elf countries, the dream of which was cold fear to all his kind. And Shagra could not both fight and keep hold of his treasure. He stopped, growling, burying his fangs. Then once again, orc... Then once more, orc fashion, he leapt aside, and as Sam sprang at him, using the heavy bundle as both shield and weapon, he thrust it hard into the en into his enemy's face. Sam staggered, and before he could recover, Shagrat darted past and down the stairs. Sam ran after him, cursing, but he did not go far. Soon the thought of Frodo returned to him, and he remembered that the orc that the other orc had come back into the into the turret. Here was another dreadful choice, and he had no time to ponder it. If Shagrat got away, he would soon get help and come back. But if Sam pursued him, the other orc might 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 do some horrible deed up there. And anyway, Sam might miss Shagrat. Wrong again, I accept. I expect, he sighed. But it's my job to go right up to the top first, whatever happens afterwards. Away below, Shagrat went leaping down the stairs and out over the court and through the gate, bearing his precious burden. If Sam could have seen him and known the grief that his escape would bring, he might have quailed. But now his mind was set on the last stage of his search. He came cautiously to the turret door and stepped um, stepped inside. It opened into darkness, but soon his staring eyes were aware of a dim light at his right hand. It came from an opening that led to another stairway, dark and narrow. It appeared to go on, winding up the turret along the inside of its round outer wall, a torch's glimmering from somewhere up above. <clears throat> Softly, Sam began to climb. He came to the guttering torch, fixed above a door on his left that faced a window slit, looking out westward. One of the red eyes that he and Frodo had seen from the down below by the tunnel's mouth. Quickly, Sam passed the door and hurried on to the second story, dreading, dreading at any moment to be attacked and to feel throttling fingers seize his throat from behind. He came next to a window looking east and another torch above the door to a passage through the middle of the turret. The door was open, the passage dark save for the glimmer of the torch, and the red glare from the outside filtering through the window slit. But here the stairs stopped and climbed no further. Sam crept into the passage. On either side there was a low door, both were closed and locked. There was no sound at all. A dead end, muttered Sam. And after all my climb, this can't be the top of the tower, but what can I do now? He ran back to the lower story and tried the door. It would not move. He ran up again, and sweat began to trickle down his face. He felt that even minutes were precious, but one by one they escaped, and he could do nothing. He cared no longer for Shagrat or Snaga or any of other, or any other org that was ever spawned. Had lo he longed only for his master, for one sight of his face or one touch of his hand. At last, weary and feeling finally defeated, he sat on a step below the level of the passage floor and bowed his head into his hands. It was quiet, horribly quiet. The torch that was already burning low when he arrived sputtered and went out, and he felt the darkness cover him like a tide. And then softly to his own surprise, there at the vain end of his long journey and his grief, moved by what thought in his heart he could not tell, tell, Sam began to sing. His voice sounded thin and quavering in the cold, dark tower, the voice of a forlorn and weary hobbit that no listening orc could possibly mistake for the clear song of an elven lord. He murmured old childish tunes out of the Shire and snatches of Mr. Bilbo's rhymes that came into his mind like fleeting glimpses of the country of his home. 
and then suddenly new strength rose in him, and his voice rang out, while words in his own came unbidden to fit the simple tune. In western lands beneath the sun, the flowers may rise in spring, the trees may bud, the waters run, the merry finches sing, or there may be tis cloudless nights, and swaying beaches bare, the elven stars is jewels white amid the branching hair. Though here at journey's end I lie in darkness buried deep, beyond all towers strong and high, beyond all mountains steep, above all shadows rise the sun, and stars forever dwell. I will not say the day is done, nor bid the stars farewell. Beyond the tower strong and high, he began again, and then he stopped short. He thought that he had heard a faint, no a faint voice answering him, but now he could hear nothing. Yes, he could hear something, but not a voice. Footsteps were approaching. Now a door was being opened quietly in the passage above. The hinges creaked. Sam crouched down, listening. The door closed with a dull thud, and then a snarling orc voice rang out. Oh, la! You up there! You dunghill rat! Stop your squeaking, or I'll come and deal with you! Do you hear? There was no answer. All right, growled Snaga, but I'll come and have a look at you all the same and see what you're up to. The hinges creaked again, and Sam, now peering over the corner of the passage threshold, saw a flicker of light in an open doorway, and the dim shape of an orc coming out. He seemed to be carrying a ladder. Suddenly the answer dawned on Sam. The topmost chamber was reached by a trapdoor on the roof of the passage. Snaga thrust the ladder upwards, steadied it, and then clambered out of sight. Sam hurried, heard a blow... A, Sam heard a bolt drown back, then he heard the hideous voice speaking again. You lie quiet or you'll pay for it. You've not gone long to live in peace, I guess. But if you don't want if you don't want the fun to begin right now, keep your trap shut, see? There's a reminder for you. There was a sound like the crack of a whip. At that rage blazed in Sam's heart to a sudden fury. He sprang up, ran, and went up the ladder like a cat. His head came out in the middle of the floor in a large round chamber. A red lamp hung from its roof. The westward window slit was a high. It, the westward window slit was high and dark. Something was lying on the floor by the wall under the window, but over it a black orc shape was straddled. It it raised a whip a second time, but the blow never fell. With a cry, Sam leapt across the floor, sting in hand. The orc wheeled round, but before it could make a move, Sam slashed its whip hand from its arm. Howling with pain and fear, but desperate, the orc charged head down at him. Sam's next blow went wide, and thrown off his balance, he fell backwards, clutching at the orc as it stumbled over him. Before he could scramble up, he heard a cry and a thud. The orc, in its wild haste, had tripped on the ladder head and fallen through the open trap door. Sam gave no more thought to it. He ran to the figure, huddled on the floor. It was Frodo. He was naked, lying as if in a swoon on a, on a heap of filthy rags. His arm was flung up, shielding his head, and across his side there were an ugly whip wheel. Frodo! Mr. Frodo, my dear! cried Sam, tears almost blinding him. It's Sam! I've come! He, lifted, he half lifted his master and hugged him to his breast, Frodo opening his eyes. Am I still dreaming? he muttered. But the other dreams were horrible. You're not dreaming at all, master, said Sam. It's real. It's me. I've come. I can hardly believe it, said Sam, clutching him. There was an orc with the whip, and then it turns into Sam. Then I wasn't dreaming after all when I heard that singing down below, and I tried to answer. Was it you? It was indeed, Mr. Frodo. I'd given up hope almost. I couldn't find you. Well, you have now, Sam, dear Sam, said Frodo, and he lay back in Sam's gentle arms, closing his eyes like a child at rest when night fears are driven away by some loved voice or hand. 
Sam felt that he could sit like a, like that in endless happiness, but it was not allowed. It was not enough for him to find his master. He had still he had still to try and save him. He kissed Frodo's head. Come, wake up, Mr. Frodo, he said, trying to sound as cheerful as he come as he had when he drew back the curtains at Bag End on a summer's morning. Frodo sighed and sat up. Where are we? How did I get here? he asked. There's no time for tales till we get somewhere else, Mr. Frodo, said Sam. We are in the top of that tower you and me saw from away down by the tunnel before the orcs got you. How long ago was that? I don't know. More than a day, I guess. Only that, said Frodo. It seems weeks. You must tell me all about it if we get a chance. Something hit me, didn't it? And I fell into a darkness and followed dreams and woke and found that waking was worse. Orcs were all round me. I think they had just been pouring some hardwood burning drink down my throat. My head grew clear, but I was aching and weary. They stripped me of everything, and then two great brutes came and questioned me, questioned me until I thought I should go mad, standing over me, gloating, fingering their knives. I'll never forget their claws and eyes. You won't if I you won't if you talk about them, Mr. Frodo, said Sam. And if we don't want to see them again, the sooner we get going the better. Can you walk? Yes, I can walk, said Frodo, getting up slowly. I am not hurt, Sam. Only I feel very tired, and I have a pain here. He put his hand to the back of his neck above his left shoulder. He stood up, and it was locked, and it, and it looked to Sam as if he was clothed in flame. His naked skin was scarlet in the light of the lamp above. Twice he paced across the floor. That's better, he said, his spirits rising a little. I didn't dare to move when I was left alone, or, wh or one of the guards c came, until the yelling and fighting began. The two big brutes, they quarreled, I think, over me and my, and my things. I lay here terrified, and then... All went deadly quiet, and that was worse. Yes, they quarreled seemingly, said Sam. There must have been a couple of hundred of the dirty creatures in this place, a bit of a tall order from Sam, for Sam Gamgee, as you might say. But they've done all the killing thems of themselves. That's lucky, but it's too long to make a song about, till we're out of here. Now what's to be done? You can't go walking in the black land and not by your skin, Mr. Frodo. They've taken everything, Sam, said Frodo. Everything I had. Do you understand? Everything! He cowered on the floor again with a bowed head, as his own words brought him to the fullness of the disaster and despair overwhelmed him. The quest has failed, Sam. Even if we get out here, we can't escape. Only elves can escape. Away, away out of Middle-earth, far over the sea, if even that is wide enough to keep the shadow out. No, not every, not everything, Mr. Frodo. And it hasn't failed, not yet. I took it, Mr. Frodo, begging your pardon, and I've kept it safe. It's round my neck now, and a terrible burden it is, too. Sam fumbled for the ring and its chain. But I suppose you must take it back. Now it had come to it. Sam felt reluctant to give up the ring and burden his master with it again. You've got it? gasped Sam. You've got it here? Sam, you're a marvel. Then quickly and strangely his tone changed. Give it to me, he cried, standing up, holding out a trembling hand. Give it to me at once. You can't have it. All right, Mr. Frodo, said Sam, rather startled. Here it is. Slowly, he drew the ring out and passed the chain over his head. But you're in the land of Mordor now, sir, and when you get out, you'll see the fiery mountain and all. You'll, ring, you'll find the ring very dangerous now and very hard to bear. If it's too hard a job, I could share it with you, maybe? No, no, cried Frodo, snatching the ring and, the, and chain from Sam's hands. No, you won't, you thief. He panted, staring at Sam with eyes wide with fear and enmity. Then suddenly, clasping the ring in one clenched fist, he stood aghast. A mist, a mist seemed to clear from his eyes, 
and he passed a hand over his aching brow. The hideous vision had seemed so real to him, half amused as he was still with the, still, still with wound, still with wound and wound and fear. Sam had changed before his very guys into an orc again, leering and pawing at his treasure, a foul little creature with greedy eyes and slobbering mouth. But now the vision had passed. There was Sam kneeling before him, his face wrung with pain as if he had been stabbed in the heart. Tails welled from his eyes. Oh, Sam, cried Frodo, what have I said? What have I done? Forgive me. After all you've done, it is the horrible power of the ring. I wish it had never, never been found. But don't mind me, Sam. I must carry the burden to the end. It can't be altered. You can't come between me and this doom. That's all right, Mr. Frodo, said Sam, rubbing his sleeve across his eyes. I understand, but I can still help, can't I? I've got to get you out of here at once, see? But first you want some clothes and gear and then some food. The clothes will be the easiest part, as we're in mortar. We'd best, we'd best dress up mortar fashion, and anyway, there isn't no choice. It'll have to be the orc stuff for you, Mr. Frodo, I'm afraid, and for me too. If we go together, we'd best match. Now put this round you. Sam so clasped his great cloak and cast it about Frodo's shoulders. Then, unslinging his pack, he laid it on the floor. He drew string from his sheath. Hardly a flick was to be seen upon its blade. I was forgetting this, Mr. Frodo, he said. No, they didn't get everything. You let me sting, if you remember, in the lady's glass. I've got them both still. But lend them to me a little longer, Mr. Frodo. I must go and see what I can find. You stay here, walk about a bit, and ease your legs. I shan't be long. I shan't have to go far. Take care, Sam, said Frodo, and be quick. There may be orcs still alive, lurking in wait. I've got to chance it, said Sam. He stepped to the trap door and slid, slipped down the ladder. In a minute, his head reappeared. He threw a long knife on the floor. There's something that might be useful, he said. He's dead, the one that whipped you. Broke his neck, it seems, in his hurry. Now you draw up the ladder if you can, Mr. Frodo, and don't you let it down till you hear me call the password. Elberath, I'll call. What the elves say. No orc would say that. Frodo sat for a while and shivered, dreadful fears chasing one another through his mind. Then he got up, drew the gray elven cloak about him, and to keep his mind occupied, began to walk to and fro, prying and peering into every corner of his prison. It was not very long, though fear made it seem an hour at least, before he heard Sam's voice calling softly from below. Elbereth! Elbereth! Frodo let down, the, let down the light ladder. Up came Sam, puffing, heaving a gray bundle on his head. He let it fall with a thud. Quick now, Mr. Frodo, he said. I've had a bit of search to make... I've had a bit of search to find anything small enough for the likes of us. We'll have to make do, but we must hurry. I've met nothing alike, and I've seen nothing, but I'm not easy. I think this place is being watched. I can't explain it, but, well, it feels to me as if one of those foul flying riders was about, up in the blackness where he can't be seen. He opened the bundle. Frodo looked in disgust at the contents, but there was nothing for it. He had to put the things on or go naked. There were long hairy breeches or some unclean be uh, of some unclean beast fell, and a tunic of dirty leather. He drew them on. Over the tunic went a coat of stout ring mail, short for a full-sized orc, too long for Frodo, and heavy. About it he clasped a belt, at which there hung a short sheath holding a broad-bladed stabbing sword. Sam had brought several orc helmets. One of them fitted Frodo well enough. A black cap with iron rim and iron hoops covered with leather upon the evil eye was painted in red above the beak-like nose guard. The Morgul stuff, Gorbag's gear, was a better fit and better made, said Sam. 
but it wouldn't do, I guess, to go carrying his tokens into Mordor, not after this business here. Well, there you are, Mr. Frodo, a perfect little orc, if I may make, if I may make so bold. At least you would be, if we could cover your face with a mask, give you longer arms, and make you bow-legged. This will hide some of the telltales. He put a large black cloak around Frodo's shoulder. Now you're ready. You can pick up a shield as we go. What about you, Sam, said Frodo? Aren't we going to match? Well, Mr. Frodo, I've been thinking, said Sam. I'd best, I'd best not leave any of my stuff behind, and we can't destroy it, and I can't wear orc mail over all my clothes, can I? I'll just have to cover up. He knelt down and carefully folded his elven cloak. It went into a surprisingly small roll. This he put into his pack that lay on the floor. Standing up, he slung it behind his back, put, a orc, put an orc helmet on his head, and cast another black cloak about his shoulders. There, he said. Now we match. Near enough. Now we must be off. I can't go all the way at a run, Sam, said, said Frodo with a, with a wry smile. I hope you've made inquiries about inns along the road. Or have you forgotten about food and drink? Save me, but so I had, said Sam. He whistled in dismay. Bless me, Mr. Frodo, but you've gone and made me that hungry and thirsty. I don't know when drop or morsel let last passed my lips. I'd forgotten it trying to find you. But let me think. Last I looked, I'd forgotten. Last I'd looked. Last time I looked, I'd got, I'd got a, enough of that whey bread and of that Captain Faramir gave us to keep me on my legs for a couple of weeks at a pinch. But if there's a drop left in my bottle, there's no more. That's not going to be enough for two, no how. Don't orcs eat, and don't they drink, or do they just live on foul air and poison? No, they eat and drink, Sam. The shadow that bred them can only mock. It cannot make. Not, not real things of its own. I don't think it gave life to the orcs. It only ruined them and twisted them. And if they are to live at all, they have to live like other living creatures. Foul waters and foul meats they'll take if they can get no better, but not poison. They fed me, so I'm better off than you. There must be food and water somewhere in this place. But there's no time to look for them, said Sam. Well, things are a bit better than you think, said Frodo. I have had a bit of luck while you were away. Indeed, they did not take everything. I found my food bag among some rags on the floor. They rummaged it, of course, but I guess they disliked the very look and smell of the lumbass, worse than Gollum did. It's scattered about, and some of it's trampled and broken, but I've gathered it together. It's not far short of what you've got, but they've taken Faramir's food, and they've slashed up my water bottle. Oh, there's no more to be said, said Sam. We've got enough to start on, but the water's going to be a bad business. But come, Mr. Frodo, off we go, or, or a whole lake of it won't do us any good not till you've had a mouthful sam said frodo i won't budge here take this elven cake and drink the last drop in your bottle the whole thing is quite hopeless so it's no good worrying about tomorrow it probably won't come at last they started down the ladder they climbed and then sam took it and laid it in the passage beside the huddled body of the fallen orc the stair was dark but on the rooftop the glare of the mountain could still be seen though it was dying down from the sullen red. They picked up the two shields to complete their disguise and then went on. Down the great stairway they plodded, the high chamber of the turret behind, where they had been again, seemed almost homely. They were out in the open again now, and ter terror ran, ran along the walls. All might be dead in the tower of Serathon Ghoul, but it was steeped in fear, fear and evil still. At length they came to the door upon the outer court, and they halted. 
Even from where they stood, they felt the malice of the watchers being beating on them. Black silent shapes on either side of the gate through which the, gale, the glare of Mordor's dimly showed. As they threaded their way among the hideous bodies of the orcs, each step became more difficult. Before they even reached the archway, they were brought to a stand. To move an inch further was a pain and weariness to will and limb. Frodo had no strength for such a battle. He sank to the ground. I can't go on, Sam, he murmured. I'm going to faint. I don't know what's come over me. I do, Mr. Frodo. Hold up now. It's the gate. There's some devilry there, but I got through, and I'm going to get out. It can't be more dangerous than before. Now for it. Sam dropped the elven glass of Galadriel again, as if to do honor to his hardihood, and to grace with splendor his faithful brown hobbit hand that had done such deeds. The fire blazed forth, and suddenly, so light that all the shadowy court was lit with a dazzling radiance like lightning, but it remained steady and did not pass. Glyphenel uh, Elbras, said Sam, for why he did not know, his thoughts sprang back again, back suddenly to the elves of the Shire, and the song that drove away the black rider in the trees. Aya Linen Anclamia, cried Frodo once again behind him. The will of the watchers was broken with a suddenness like a snapping of a cord, and Frodo and Sam stumbled forward. Then they ran through the gate and past the great seated figures with their glittering eyes. There was a crack. The casement of the arch crashed almost on their heels, and the wall above crumbled and fell in the ruin. Only by a hair did they escape. A bell clanged, and from the watchers there went up a high and dreadful wail. Far up above in the darkness it was entered. Out of the black sky there came dropping like a bullet of a winged shape, rendering the clouds with a ghastly shriek.